So little kids, when they're growing up, are either asked the question or begin to ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? And I can remember uh, we, we asked this question of our oldest son one time. And, uh, you know, instead of saying, like, well, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a banker or whatever, he said, I want to be a fire truck. Uh, what, very often, though, when we're growing up, we, at, we start to ask ourselves, or at least we start to imagine what our life would be like. But let me just say, nobody says this growing up. I want my life to be totally unremarkable, totally commonplace. You know, in, in the same manner, when we, as we raise our kids, nobody says, when my kids grow up, I want them to be totally unremarkable, totally unexceptional. I want them to be unnoteworthy, commonplace, even mediocre. I can't wait for that. I mean, and, and nobody would say that, and especially in our culture. In our culture, where every kid is special. Every kid is exceptional. Every kid gets a trophy. Uh, there's a, um, I was just reading a, a New York Times article this week about this, and uh, the author said this. Uh, uh, I can't even pronounce the author's name. Tudgeon, I think, is her last name. It says, more recently, parents seem to be increasingly anxious that there just isn't going to be enough. Enough room at good colleges or graduate schools or the top companies. For even the straight-A piano-playing quarterback. And we end up convinced that, we are, that being average will doom our children to a life that will fall far short of what we want for them. And there's one, another quoted author says this, in, in this world, the ordinary life has become synonymous with a meaningless life. And so, when a, 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 a high school uh, English teacher from Massachusetts got up and did a commencement speech and said these words, you are not special. Okay, if everyone is special, that means no one is special. The internet freaked out. Because what he was saying is, you know, you're not a snowflake. You're not that special. You're not exceptional. You're one if you're one in a million, there's 6,000 or 6,800 other people in the, in just like you because there's six-something billion people in the world. And the Internet just couldn't handle that. Uh, that author's writing a book about that now. It's called You're Not Special and Other Encouragements. It's great. So, but here's the thing. Our culture has this idea that we, you know, our lives are supposed to have this grandeur. And this, we're supposed to have you know, this certain amazingness to us and we certainly want that for our children of all you know and you go out onto the soccer fields out here in oak leaf you go all around here you just go to the sporting events with the kids around here and and look at the look in the parents eyes and you can you'll know that they are just striving for that star athlete that's going to you know top the nfl list you know or it's going to you know be the world cup player or, or something of this sort you know and the reality is, none of these kids probably will. Or, you know, maybe one every 50 years, maybe, right? It's reality. It's reality. And even the ones that may make it to college, like we have Shaq, who did so well and ends up playing, playing at Miami, his chances of NFL may be pretty slim. We don't know. 
So, or, but when it comes to God, here's the thing. When it comes to God's economy, okay, um, we need to seriously reconsider and redefine what a successful life, or even, for that matter, a successful church looks like. We've asked this question before. We've asked, what is failure? What is success? And, and so, really, I want to kind of look at that a little bit differently today. So we, we looked at uh, how Stephen, with all his promise, was just martyred. He died. And is that failure? Is that, you know, God, so we, really the book of Acts, these first chapters really continue to press that question on us. What is a successful life? What is, what is a good life? What is a good life for you? What is a good life for your children? And so here in this, looking at Philip and looking at Paul, we see that God really redefines how we look at that. Okay? And so we get a big idea here. Okay? God can use anyone to go anywhere to save anyone. Okay? God can use anybody to go anywhere to save anyone. So let's take a look at that. First of all, we see that God can use anybody. Okay, let's talk about Philip. We see Philip here, and Philip, he's, he's just not super exceptional. <laughs> he's kind of a boring character in the Bible. Uh, okay, by the way, this is not the Philip that you meet in the Gospels. This is not the disciple Philip. This is not the apostle Philip. Okay, it's pretty clear this is a different guy. All right, uh, and this Philip was one of the original seven deacons that we met in chapter 6. And he's just named. And, but, in, but in that list, he starts talking about, Luke starts talking about Stephen. And how Stephen is so gifted. Stephen's filled with the Spirit, full of faith. And, and actually, probably one of the best sermons, even, I think even better than Paul's sermons, Stephen's sermon is amazing. His ability, his, his ability in brief measure to, to lay out the gospel throughout Scripture, man, he brought it. This guy was gifted. And then we see him martyred. Uh, and then here comes Philip. Philip is, you know, moved out and he goes to Samaria or whatever. But, you know, Phil, Philip really, unlike Stephen, Philip is a pretty unremarkable guy, Okay. We're, we are not holding anything special about him. We're simply told he goes to Samaria, um, he, he preaches the gospel, and then he follows this call to go to this desert road. Okay, But there's really not, nothing before this and nothing after it. You, you don't hear sermons normally preached about the awesome ministries of Philip, the deacon. We just don't know. I mean, the only thing we know beyond this chapter, what we see here, is kind of where he ends up. He ends up in um, Capernaum, which is on the seacoast. And it, we find out later that he has some daughters. That's about it. He settles down. Uh, and so, nothing. Um, we don't see, we're not hearing sermons. So, Philip is just not an exciting person it's not it's just not something you you're going to go out and read books about there's no not many books there's no books written about him you know is it maybe comparisons like paul and so on okay but here's the thing like this a guy like philip just doesn't 
resonate with our Christian world today. Because in our Christian world today, we, we put exceptionalism, we put the gifted, the fast-growing, the amazing stuff. That's what we value. Uh, one author uh, named uh, L. Phillips said this, Christianity is about the concept. This is a quote up there. If you put it up there for me, Al. Christianity is all about the concept of world-changing impact right now. It's a trend. Every speaker, every author, every pastor wants you to be a world changer for Jesus. It's what I call the if-only theory. If only you loved the way God loved, you'd, you'd have revolutionized your entire neighborhood and workplace by now. And if only... You had the faith that God asked of you. Then you'd go to that big awesome thing. Big awesome thing that you said you'd never had time or strength or energy to do. If only you took off your spiritual blinders. Miracles of all sorts would be happening up and down the street. Every time you preached out, reached out in the name of Christ. You are called, everyone says, to great things. Big things. Huge things. Life-changing, earth-shattering paradigm-shifting, amazing things, all in the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Go do great, big, huge, amazing things. And then when they don't happen, and that's not the reality, we ask, maybe something, I'm, maybe something wrong. Maybe I'm, not, oh, maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe, I don't, maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe I don't have this. Maybe I don't have that. And it's that if-only thing that you're talking about here. But we see here with Philip, that just isn't true. God uses ordinary, completely unexceptional, mediocre people all the time. As a matter of fact, it is more the norm than when we see somebody like Paul. Okay? It's, if, if you're that normal Mediocre, regular. I know you're. I know you're special. I know everybody's special, but if you really just you're just kind of a normal person and you're living a normal, regular life, that's the kind of people God uses. Look through the Bible; they're not exceptional, exciting, huge, gifted people. They're just regular, normal people. Well, then you say, well, okay, what about Paul? I mean, Paul was exceptional, wasn't he? Let's take a look at Paul. I mean, Paul was by all means extraordinary his story is exciting as a matter of fact like after the passion of christ came out i really wanted like somebody like mel gibson to do the story of paul because that would make an epic movie i mean you could actually have a series of epic movies right i mean if you look at his story i mean he's imprisonments there's crazy miracles there's shipwrecks i mean all this stuff happens in his life and sometimes he describes it in a few words but the life of paul would make an amazing epic movie, right? You know, just no buildings blowing up or whatever. But you could probably add that in somehow, right? So, but Paul's story was exceptional. But here's the thing. That is not why God called Paul. Do you hear me? God did not call Paul because he was gifted, because he was extraordinary, because he was the top of his class, any of that. As a matter of fact, he tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that, that none of that even matters, that he considers that garbage. 
compared to the value of knowing Jesus. Okay? And we're told, Apostle Paul tells us why God chose to use him. Take a look at this. In 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, he's telling young Timothy, a disciple of his, why God called him. Take a look at this. He says this. I thank him, talking about God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But, here it is, I received mercy because I had acted in ignorance and in unbelief. But here's, and he gives the reason here. But, I received mercy for this reason. So in other words, God called him, He's giving us the reason why God called him to be his spokesperson, to be the writer of the New Testament, to be this guy that would take the gospel. He tells us why. And it's, I'm going to tell you, it's not because he was exceptional, not because he was the top of his class, not because he was extraordinary, nothing like that. Here's why. That in me, as the foremost, and this is Paul, this is a little shorthand here for Paul, because Paul considers himself the foremost of sinners, the chief of sinners, Okay, so as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, God chose him because of his messed up, broken, sinful past that people would see the amazing mercy and grace of God. God chose Paul because of his brokenness not because of his togetherness. So what we see is God uses broken, messed up people in exceptional ways for his glory sometimes. And so in other words, God can use the worst, most messed up people. And in fact, if you look through the Bible, that's pretty much the it. That's one of the, one of the I think, one of the authenticating uh, things about the Bible, self-authenticating things about the Bible, is if, if it was made up it's, and people were writing this and crafting this to create something that for their own religions, religious purposes or whatever, why would all the characters in the Bible be these messed up, broken, faithless, you know, sinning people? I mean, you go through the great kings of the Old Testament. They were sinners. Even David, one of the top kings, and even his son, were broken, messed up people. They were adulterers, liars, thieves, uh, oh, disobedient. And then, then you get into the New Testament. And his disciples are just, you know, they don't get it. They're bumbling. They, you know, Jesus, at times, you just think he's about to pull his hair out with these guys. And that is the picture of the followers that God calls. Is it people who have it together, but those who are broken? And so we see that God... He can use anyone, no matter how ordinary, unexceptional you may be, or how broken and sinful you've been. He can use anybody. And so here's the thing. He can use anybody to go anywhere. Let's take a look at this anywhere. So let's look at Philip here. Um, Because we know God can send somebody anywhere. Let's look at Paul. If you look at Paul's life, he sent Paul throughout the world. I mean, the, the, the known world Paul went to. Like, pretty much 
where people had civilization at the time, Paul went and took the gospel. All right? And it was Paul's going to anywhere that really began to spread Christianity. But look at Philip here. Philip is called to go. He's called to go somewhere. And I believe every person that is in Jesus Christ is called somewhere. Okay? But look where, where Philip is called. Okay? So they're in Samaria. They're in the cities. And the cities is where you would expect God to call you, right? Like, go where people are. Like, if you plant a church... You know, we look at demographics and different, is it a growing area? Is there going to be enough people there? You know, so on. I mean, there's this idea, you know, you, you want to start a ministry, you want to take the gospel to where people are. And there's nothing wrong with that. That makes perfect sense. But here with, with Philip, Philip is called to just go down to this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. So it's between Jerusalem and Egypt. And he's called to go there. And, and, we, and Luke is very careful here. Luke was this physician. He was a very careful guy. Notice he adds the phrase. Did y'all notice this? It was a desert place. God called Philip to a desert place. Now, we know the story. We know what happens. But Philip is not told, hey, I want you to go down to this road so that... You can meet this Ethiopian eunuch and you can see amazing conversion. You know, you can finish out what God has been doing. You know, because that's the cool thing that happens, right? That's a super cool story. I wish we could could make a whole sermon on that story about the Ethiopian eunuch because, you know, how did he have the Bible? Y'all know? It's pretty obvious. Go back to Old Testament. Remember Joseph? Whose brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery for 40 years. I mean, this, this, his story was a story of suffering and pain and, and eventually redemption, right? This was because of God calling Joseph to a desert place that even this Ethiopian eunuch would even have the Bible and would be even interested in going and worshiping. But, but Philip doesn't know that. All he's told is to go to a desert road. I mean, I would be like, what's up with that? Lord, hey, you know, you know, you know, am I going somewhere? Am I heading somewhere else? You know, like, you know, but Philip, is, he just says, okay, I'm going to go. And sometimes God calls us to really cool, amazing, extraordinary places. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes he calls us to just boring old desert roads. The mundane, the mediocre, the unextraordinary road. Sometimes, because desert places sometimes are places of, of suffering. Sometimes it's the hard road. Sometimes it's the, it's the place where just to be faithful and to persevere is the victory. And we have some people in our, in our, in our midst that are in the desert road. Who have children that, that are suffering, who are suffering through uh, physical disabilities or or, you know, struggles of other, all kinds. And God calls people to that. <clears throat> it's a good question. If God calls you to the desert and there's no exciting story at the end of it, will you go? You know? Is, 
you know, and here's the thing, too, is like there's this idea that things have to be amazing and extraordinary, like this big, exciting adventure. That's what God calls people to. But sometimes God calls us to be faithful in the diapers and the, and the finances, you know, the day-to-day, the laundry, you know. And let me, let me especially moms or dads that are staying home and, we're, and that's your location is be at home. That is, they're, they're, that's Said, no, that's not good enough. That's not, that doesn't count. It's not extraordinary. It's not special enough. But God calls people to the desert road. So, God call, can use anybody to go anywhere to save anyone. Let's take a look at this part of Acts. You know, if you look at it from the, if you were reading this, if you were a Jewish Christian at the time, and you open up Luke's book of Acts, and you're reading along, and you don't know the end of the story. Or let's say you're, you're in the story, and you're this early church, and you're you know, trying to experience, and you're, you're experiencing this as it happens, and you don't know the end of the story. We've tried, I've tried to help us. When you're reading these stories, it really kind of helps to try to get into their shoes and see it from their perspective, right? Can you imagine? So there goes Philip off to a desert road. Where is he going? Are you coming back, dude? Like, you know, like, we're, you know, and then, then you later hear that he has brought the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, first of all, let's go through this guy. First of all, he's Ethiopian. Like, these are Jewish Christians. I mean, they, they're like, okay, uh, you know, I guess it's going to the world, you know, but like, why an Ethiopian? You know, like, there was nothing, you know, that was, you know, we're, we're Jews, you know, we're less. Let's keep this in-house, man. Let's keep this thing. And that's what they were initially, that was the impulse, was to keep it within in-house. And the God has taken the gospel to other people, right? These other nations and so on. And actually, what we could tell, this is the first, you know, non-Jewish believer outside of Jerusalem to come to faith. Okay? So he's a foreigner. Secondly, he's a eunuch. Uh, everybody knows what that means, right? Okay, we're good. Okay. All right. And so here's the thing about eunuchs, though. He's going to Jerusalem to worship, but the, reality, the sad reality was because of Jewish law, eunuchs were not allowed to participate in Jewish worship. Okay? It was a, the clean, cleanliness laws. It was also uh, probably to discourage people from becoming or being made to be eunuchs. Okay? I'm, I'm in favor of that. Like, I'm, I'm like, I have a sign in my, in my closet that says ban the eunuchs, you know, no more eunuchs kind of thing, right? I'm okay with, not, with the non-eunuch thing, okay? So, you know, and God's law prevented and, and discouraged eunuchs. And a part of that was that they wouldn't be a part of Israel's worship. And so here's this foreign eunuch who's going to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, maybe he would stand out in the courts of the Gentiles or whatever, but he would not ever be able to enter. But here's the good news. The coolest thing is, is that the gospel breaks through national, racial barriers, and it breaks through even the things that because of what Jesus did and his once-for-all death on the cross, 
we are free. No matter how emasculated we may be, no matter how broken we may be, how unclean we are before a holy, righteous God, because of what Jesus did, this guy is brought in. And he can walk straight in to the holy of holies because of what Jesus has done. That's super cool, right? We miss this stuff when we just read through this. This eunuch, he would never have been able to worship outside of Christ. He would have always been outside the camp. And he's brought in, invited in. Isn't that good, Isn't that good news? And then, Paul. Now, we know Paul. Everybody's heard about Paul. If you've been to a church a few times, you've heard the name Paul. You know, and I, I remember this one guy that was, had come to our ministry for a while when I was in another town. Really, I mean, like, had no, nothing about, uh, knew nothing about uh, Christianity. He came to me, like, one time. He was like, dude, I got a question, man. Like, so, I get Jesus. You know, I've heard about Jesus, and I, I'm really digging Jesus these days. You know I mean? Like, I'm learning. I didn't even know things. I thought, I had no idea that Jesus was, as he's been described. He's like, but who's that guy, Paul? They keep talking about this guy, Paul, right? And this guy, Paul, is pretty well known. You hear about him a lot. And uh, I had to explain to him, well, Paul was, you know, you know, I had to talk about his conversion and whatever. But from, the, from their perspective, if you were a Christian at the time, as, as a matter of fact, you see Ananias, his response when God says, hey, I need you to go and meet up with this guy, Paul. He's like, what? hey, God, I'll do whatever you want, but do you, you know who he is, right? You know this guy. I just want to make it clear. Are we, are we clear here? We're under, you understand, and like, this, you got the right guy. This is not some other Paul, some other Saul guy, whatever. The guy's like, no, I want you to go because I'm going to use, he's going to be my instrument. Can you imagine hearing that? I mean, this would be like, hey, Russell, I want you to go and preach the gospel to Osama bin Laden. Or the leader of the Taliban. I don't even know what his name is. There's always a new one. Right? I want you to go and, and share Jesus with Osama bin Laden. That would have been about the same emotional problem he was having here. Like, really, God? I mean, you know, I, I, I like that movie where they took him out, you know? But what if God called you to... You're right. That is the import here. That all of a sudden... The, the worst possible, most broken, most arrogant, most hateful person you could imagine is now being called into the kingdom. Both of these men are perfect examples that nobody, no one is too far outside, too far gone for the grace of God. Nobody. And I know there's people in my mind I think of that I know here in Oak Leaf, different places, that I think never. It's not even possible. So I'm not even going to try. And, and because, maybe even because there's a risk, because they are so hostile, they are so anti Christianity, so anti whatever, that we resist. And we, we want people, we want somebody like this Ethiopian eunuch who's ready. I mean, think about the extremes here, right? You have this Ethiopian you, He is primed. He is ready. He is ripe. Ready to go. That's what we want. That's, that is the converts I like. Not some dude who might kill me. 
or, you know, make me want to be dead. You know, there's those people too. And here's the thing, both of these, God calls both of them, calls all men to himself. And so, whether you're the most unexceptional, mediocre, whether you're so far outside the camp, so unclean, or even somebody like Paul, the good news of the gospel is going to all of them. It's great news. But you know, um, if you know much about Jesus, this is not a surprise. This is what Jesus did. We see this in um, Luke chapter 8. Okay, Jesus, we're told, travels across the Sea of Galilee. and just goes to this great, out-of-the-way place. And he, and he meets this person. Well, first of all, he goes to this place. And it's called uh, Gerasenes or uh, Gerasenes. I think there's different ways of pronouncing it. Uh, it depends on if you're Greek or not, I guess. Um, but he goes across the sea, and there's this, he goes to these tombs. Okay, this place where these, 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 these uh, rock-cut tombs, and it's this place where Jews never go. And so Jesus goes to a place that people don't go. He went to a desert place, so to speak. And when he was there, he met this guy who was um, a de- he's the demon-possessed. And, and that we're told that he is, has so many de- demons that they just, he just starts call- he's renamed himself Legion. And I don't understand how all that works, right? But Jesus goes to the unthinkable place to reach the unreachable and, and reaches out and heals somebody that nobody would want to even be near. That is Jesus. That is who he is. That is who God is. God reaches out to all those. This is the story of Jesus. God's sending his son to the worst of places to save the worst of us. That is the story of Jesus. His very coming to earth is coming to the worst possible place to save the worst possible people. So... Let's ask some, let me ask some application questions real quick. You know, are you just not exceptional enough? Do you have that sense? Like, are you just too commonplace? Too ordinary? Let me just tell you, there is beauty and redemption in the commonplace. That, that the normal, regular rhythms of your life, God can redeem and use in an amazing, beautiful way. It's not going to be exciting. It's not going to be glamorous. Diaper smell, right? Uh, serving people is hard. You know, all these things. But God, there is a beauty and an amazing place there. Um, and Philip is an example of that. He was just an ordinary guy. He's actually, uh, you know, just a deacon, a guy who would, who would just agree and be faithful enough to serve some widows. Secondly, are you, are you too far gone for Jesus? Are you, are you so far outside the camp? Are you so unclean? Are you, are you, you, know, are you there? If, if that's where you feel, there is nobody. Nobody that's too far gone. Nobody that's too unclean. Nobody that is unredeemable. God can redeem anyone. And then let's add this to it. Are you willing to go where God would call you? 
Are you willing to go to the desert places, to the boring places, to the dangerous places? Where is God calling you? Now, he may have, he's called you, and where you are actually may be where he's called you. It may be that you be thankful and realize that the people that God has your, in your life right now, where you are right now is exactly where God has called you. And it may seem like a desert road. It may seem like it's not going anywhere, but God has you there. And that's the, So the good question would be, if God has called me right where I'm at, what does he have for me here? Is there Ethiopian eunuchs rolling by? You know, is there Pauls running around? Is there others? Is there thing? Where, what does God have for me now? Because most of us are so busy thinking about where we need to be or should be, we for, we miss out on what God is doing around us right there. And we're going. You know, what's going to happen is you're going to blink your eyes, and it's gone. Those moments, those days are gone. It's the same way with our kids. You know, you're always, we're always thinking about what they need to be or should be. We miss out on where they are right now and where God has them now and what God has for us now. But maybe God is calling you to go. God calls. He's a sending God. God is a sending God, and he may be. And this is what we need to be open to is to say, God, are you calling us? Now, man and I, we heard that call. Uh, three years ago to church planting. And to me, I thought, okay, cool. Because, I, you know, I've, you know, I had a pretty, you know, I loved ministry at Pinewood or whatever, but my job there had gotten become, it was a, a, a behind-the-scenes, more mundane kind of a ministry role, which I was content with, but God began to lay this out. And so we thought, well, maybe, you know, now if God's calling us to church planting, that's going to, we could be something really cool or whatever. And he calls us to Oakley. And it was a little bit like, wah, wah, wah. And now we're here. We love it. You know, we're just, God, you know, but there was a little bit of like, oh, Oakley. You know, that was kind of, I've shared that before, you know. But when we, God brought us here, we love it. And God has done some amazing things around us. Okay. So, is God calling? God is ascending God. So, we always need to ask. God, number one, what do you have right here for me? Number two, are you sending? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, and I thank you for um, that you would use an ex- unextraordinary, boring people to, to do amazing things for your glory. And that you would even redeem the mundane, regular things of life for your glory. The cool thing is, Lord, that there is, there is nobody that is out, out too far gone, too, too mediocre. None of that matters. When you call, you equip, and you, and you use people for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that you, would, um, that you would give us a heart and passion to be faithful where we are or to go to do what it takes. And so, Lord, we, we ask all this in your name we pray. Amen.